Welcome back for another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Sam Webb and my good friend Tim McCormick, you ought to know by now, his background, former Michigan standout before being a first-round pick in the NBA draft and uh, in the NBA where he had a long career and now still involved in the game as a broadcaster, both on the pro side, covering the Pistons with Fox Sports Detroit, and then also a college basketball commentator, still involved with the NBA Players Association, and of course... He is the man here on this podcast. Tim, how are you, my man? I'm good, Sam. I, I'm really good. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed the Maryland game. And, you know, in this season of COVID, you know, we've seen social injustice and political tension and isolation and just, just unprecedented challenges. And I was so anticipating the Michigan-Maryland game because there were so many storylines that I thought would really tell us about the potential of this team. As an example, you know, is Eli Brooks healthy? Um, mm-hmm. Could his foot be a lingering issue? That could be devastating. Um, I wanted to learn about the character and resolve of Mike Smith. You know, we don't know him that well. We, we really like what he see, but you know, what's inside of him after an 0 for 6 shutout performance, what does he do? Um, is there a, what I would call like a collective hangover after a really tough road loss to Minnesota? Um, would would one loss turn into a losing streak? Because this team is good as we thought. I mean, the, the storylines go on and on. And I have to tell you, I was immensely impressed. Michigan thoroughly dismantled the Terps. It was completely one-sided. And it, it was as close as you're going to find to a 40-minute effort. Yeah, and they uh, took it to them from start to finish. Uh, really, with, with Mike Smith, uh, you know, getting off of that goose egg he had against Minnesota. Uh, and really getting Michigan off on the right track. But before we dive deep into the Maryland game, I got to rewind the tape again. Is It seems like I'm doing every single week talking about a prediction you made, Tim, that rings true or it turned out to, you know, it came to fruition in the game. You said, look, Sam, Michigan isn't going to win this game against Minnesota. The energy isn't going to be the same. Couldn't have anticipated at the time that Eli Brooks wasn't going to be available, but that just compounded what you were talking about. And the Wolverines wound up losing that game quite handily I didn't take that to be a a sign of them crashing back to earth like some pundits said I took it more as what you said you know hard to sustain that level of energy uh, for every game of the season especially coming off of a really really emotional uh, effort and then also in this game being out with one of your best players or one of your better defenders yeah I I mean I don't take a lot of credit for that prediction that seemed like a no-brainer to me that after a historic performance against Wisconsin after to prep the fact that Liam Robbins, who's a really good player to me was absolutely schooled and embarrassed by Hunter Dickinson. I could see him laying in bed every night dreaming about, I can't wait to get back at Hunter. Um, the fact that Eli Brooks did a great job locking up Carr in the first matchup, you knew that he was going to be good. And then to not have Eli Brooks play, that was an issue. It just, all the stars aligned. Michigan, <clears throat> excuse me, was not going to win that game. But maybe most important about back to the Maryland game, how great that that Michigan could dominate using Hunter Dickinson as a decoy, um, and and the fact that that if you're looking at Austin Davis and Brandon Johns and Dickinson, even though Hunter got shut down, they still combined for 23 points and 10 rebounds with those three guys sharing the job. Yeah, and I I think it's really telling how teams are attacking Michigan now. 
I mean, they're determined, and I said this in the last podcast, teams are determined to take Hunter Dickinson out of the game. Now, it didn't work. You know, the response to that wasn't as as well as he would have liked for it to have been against Minnesota. But, boy, did he find his way here in the Maryland game. And, you know, three point, the point total doesn't really uh, jump out at you. But the assists don't really tell the story of how many good looks they got out of Hunter Dickinson passing out of double teams. That is a way of life for him. The problem for other teams moving forward, Tim, and I want you to speak to this, Michigan got a lot of good looks last night. And if they continue, I mean, it's not like they played Michigan this way the whole season. Hunter Dickinson, as he's emerged, now they're saying, okay, we got to blitz Hunter. But now Michigan's going to get more of these good looks. And if they get the kind of looks they got last night or against Maryland when they were 12 or 24 from three-point range, I think it's going to wind up being a pick-your-poison scenario for, for, for every opponent they play. Exactly, Sam. And in conference play, scouting reports get exceptionally deep. And, and I feel it started specifically against Minnesota at Chrysler on January 6th. Everybody in the Big Ten saw what Hunter did to Liam Robbins. And, and the message to teams was make Hunter a passer, double on the catch. Some teams double on his first dribble. Don't let him catch it all. There's a lot of ideas. But Hunter is getting a graduate school lesson in star treatment. And, and so what's happened? Let's go back to that Minnesota game. He had 28. Against Wisconsin, he had 12. Against Minnesota on the road, he had nine. And against Maryland, three. And, and you look at his shot attempts. Once again, 15 shots at Minnesota. 10 against Wisconsin. Five at Minnesota. Three to Maryland. So every game, his points are going down and his shot attempts are going down. And, and they've won three of four games. And Hunter has so unselfishly played the role of decoy and ball mover, and his teammates are getting wide-open shots. Remember, if you double-team Hunter Dickinson and he passes the ball, you're playing four-on-three on the weak side, and they can't cover everybody, especially that corner three. Um, and, and so I just, I just believe that, that he is playing – a great brand of basketball. And, and I do have to say this, um, the first game against Maryland, I, I felt like he made a rookie mistake by kind of going at Mark Turgeon a little bit. Um, you know, I once had a coach say, don't give your opponent added fuel to stop you. Mm-hmm. And, and I never thought that Mark Turgeon purposely avoided recruiting Hunter Dickinson. If you look at their roster the last couple of years, they had Jalen Smith, they had um, McCall and Mackay Mitchell, who ended up leaving. They're at Rhode Island now. There's nothing personal why uh, Mark Turgeon didn't recruit him enough. But I will say this, that after that game against Maryland, I said to myself, okay, you know what? If you're going to if you're gonna go ahead and, and stare at the coach, you know that he's not going to let you get the ball next time you play. <laughs> like, like Mark Turgeon is a competitor. And I bet he was fuming and he said, okay, you know, we'll see you in two weeks. Now he did shut down Hunter. He may have gone overboard to shut down Hunter and Michigan's good enough around Hunter that it worked out, but it's just something to be careful of in the future. Right? <laughs> well, and look, if you want that smoke though, I mean, some players like that, some players want yeah. that, that attention. And if you can, if you can let that not, not knock you off kilter. And I guess what I can appreciate about it. Tim is he he knew 
that they were coming at him, and he didn't make it about him. It's a lot of young players in that situation might have just said, all right, you want to come at me, I'm going to try to get mine. Hunter had no points at the break, right? And, and didn't have a whole lot more after the break. Continued to move the basketball. So it says something about his maturity. And, you know, obviously it gets a little edgy and chippy in competition. Maybe he would like that back. I don't know. I haven't asked him that question. But certainly in this instance, I think it says a lot about him that he wasn't consumed by that. And at least in the first game, it was part of the motivation. I'm curious if you can chime in on a debate that we've had, because clearly Hunter Dickinson is a big time player in the Big Ten, big time player nationally. Isaiah Livers, you know, the captain, deft shooter, Franz Wagner, maybe the best pro prospect on the team. I mean, Eli Brooks, we saw his value. I feel like more than any other player on this team, he's not the most talented guy, clearly. But I think more than any other player on this team, I think the team goes as Mike Smith goes. And I felt mm-hmm. like I felt like against Minnesota, we really saw that. He was taxed to the hilt because Eli Brooks wasn't there to, to take some of that pressure off of him, to guard Marcus Carr, right? Uh, and then on, on offense, it, it, his, his job, I mean, he was the primary ball handler the whole game, 37 minutes. And I, I, it felt like that weighed on his offensive game to the point where he had a, zero points for the first time in his career. So understand what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not sitting here t- saying or contending that he's the best player on the team, but I think he's the toughest for Michigan to, to do without. And I'm curious if you, feel, if you feel like I'm wrong or right on that. Well, Hunter Dickinson and Mike Smith are the two indispensable parts. There's a major drop-off if either one of those guys goes down. And from Mike Smith's perspective, think about this. He's used to playing on the road at Brown and Harvard and at Yale. Like going to the barn, even if there's nobody in there, it's an incredible building. The court is six feet up off the ground. You know, it's an imposing place. It's different than anything he's ever experienced. And so he's going through a whole world of new real life experiences and, and going up against great defenders every single game. And by, by you bringing it up, if we're discussing it, you know that Richard Pitino and Matt Painter are talking about who's indispensable and who they need to take away. So I completely agree with you on his value. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something. It's one of the things that I took note of against Maryland. Like, hmm, we're seeing it's one thing to see some Zeb Jackson against Minnesota. That's really out of necessity. I mean, you don't have Eli Brooks there, but Eli was back and available for the Maryland game. And they still gave Zeb Jackson a little tick, and I think there's a realization there. Maybe we need to, you know, get him ready, grow him up a little bit more. So as we get deeper in the season, he's more of an option. Uh, you know, so if if there is an issue where, you know, maybe Mike is in, in foul trouble or, or something where we, we do have at least another another option off the bench that we can get in there and give him, you know, a blow, give him a few minutes. We'll see if, if Zeb is able to to do that. But I'm curious, Tim, before we get to our guest this week, if you can, you know, weigh in on sort of the national commentary. They lost to Minnesota, and whether it was Seth Davis or some of the other national pundits who were all really good, I think they they were overly dramatic in, ta- in, in sort of, you know, kind of quantifying the significance of the loss or depicting the significance of the loss to Minnesota. Michigan comes crashing back down to earth. 
They had an off game. I don't feel any less confident in Michigan's ability to contend for the Big Ten Championship or the Final Four. Uh, Matter of fact, I feel more bullish about it watching how they came off of that game and performed against Maryland. I agree, Sam. From a big-picture standpoint, Michigan is clearly one of the best teams in college basketball. Um, I, I, I think that they can beat Gonzaga. We saw that last year in the Bahamas, right? I know it's a different season, but I know that that the Zags are really good, and Michigan beat them last year handily. Uh, Baylor is outstanding. I watched them against Kansas. I, I was really impressed. I broadcast Baylor and Oklahoma State last year, so I've seen their players in person. The Bears have Michigan much better at the three, four, and the five. So I say Michigan could beat Baylor. Michigan versus Iowa is going to be exciting. I know it's not until early March. I think it's the 4th or 5th, and it's at Michigan. The Hawkeyes' only Big Ten loss this year at Minnesota, just like Michigan. So the the the, the score was really telling, though. Iowa gave up 102 points in overtime to Minnesota. So to me, Michigan is a lot better on defense. Iowa's probably better on offense. And then if you look around the country, the traditional teams that you would always say, well, you know, Michigan go pretty far, but they can't beat North Carolina or Duke or Kentucky. None of those three teams are even ranked. And and that's never happened since 1961. Um, who are some of the other candidates? Villanova is really good, but they've only played one game since December 23rd. I really like Tennessee, but Tennessee, number six in the country, number six, Tennessee last night lost by 26 to Florida. I saw and they that. only scored 49 points. I mean, that's that's incredible. So who are the really good teams? Houston is good. Texas is good, even though they just lost to Texas Tech. The point is, Sam, college basketball is so wide open. COVID has equalized the playing field. And I know that Gonzaga and Baylor are the two best teams that I've seen. But if Michigan was a one or a two seed and you get into the NCAA tournament, they wouldn't even see those teams until the Elite Eight or Final Four at the earliest. Yeah, I think that's the it's the ebb and flow of the season, and and it really I think illustrates a, a couple of things, uh, points that you already laid out there that Michigan was coming off of a a really emotional performance where they just dominated a top ten team uh, against the team that had circled that game on their on their calendar. They was they were itching to get back at Michigan, and Michigan was out without their best backcourt defender. Those things converged for Michigan to. Lose a game in, in lopsided fashion, but credit to Jawan Howard and his coaching staff and those players for really making it clear. We give Minnesota credit, but they were the aggressors, and we will not be in a game where we let a team hit us in the mouth first. You hit first was what Isaiah Liver said after the game, and that's exactly what they did to, to Maryland. But you know what? It's, a, it's about being able to, being physically able to impose your will on a team uh, helps if you are you are bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic. Uh, and Michigan finds itself in that position quite often, not just because they are, are really talented, but because they also have arguably the best strength coach in the country getting them ready for se- the season and ready for games. Tim, when we talk about the Sandman, John Sanderson. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, that, that you know, skill development, is very important. Scrimmaging is very important, but but the 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 improvement of size, strength, athleticism has become one of the most dominant parts. And if you don't have somebody that's going to turn a three star into a four star, a four star into a five star, 
through physical training, then, then you're behind the ball. And Michigan definitely has that with the Sandman. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, we will be joined by the Sandman himself, John Sanderson. We are back, folks, here on the Michigan Basketball Insider with another great guest. And when you talk about how Michigan's basketball program has evolved into a national power, so much attention, and rightfully so, given to, to coaches like John Beeline and now Juwan Howard, great players that have come through. But they, to a man, coaches and players will say they could not have gotten to where they got to, and they can't go to where they're going. Without the guy they affectionately call Sandman. John Sanderson is our guest this week. Tim, another great pull, my man. Yeah, thank you. And I'm excited because John wears a lot of hats. He's the men's and women's strength coach for basketball and also golf since 2009. And many of the wins and the Big Ten titles and the Final Four appearances would not be possible without the skill and expertise of John Sanderson, one of the best in college basketball. John, thanks so much for joining us. Tim, thank you so much. And Sam, thank you as well. And you guys are way too kind. That was way too nice of an introduction, by the way. <laughs> I can't scale it back now, so you've got to live with it. Right. So, 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 John, our fans see the players doing amazing things out there, but they don't understand all of the little things and all of the hard work and the sweat equity that it yeah. takes behind the scenes. Can you share for our listeners a little bit about you know, a typical day for a Michigan basketball player? What type of things do they do? in season from a maintenance standpoint yeah so you know to start um you know you've probably heard me say this before they're all so different so we have to evaluate them individually they're all michigan basketball players but their path to being a really good big 10 player and and go on going on to the nba uh that's many of their goals is is so different so you know right now if you're you know eli brooks isaiah livers hunter dickinson that's a whole different deal with the volume of minutes they're playing. And it's purely maintenance, a lot of injury prevention uh, modalities, things that we're doing, a lot of cold tub and recovery. Um, if you're Jace Howard, coach's son, if you're, you know, uh, Terrence Williams, you know, you're, you're not getting the minutes quite yet. You're young and you're developing. So you're training uh, for maintenance. You're training um, anytime we can on game day to get extra work in to develop you for the next year. So that's kind of a, you know, it's again, there's no easy answer to that. They're all a little bit different. So scout team guys obviously have a lot more developmental work than our guys are playing high minutes. So explain what maintenance is. Explain injury prevention. What what does that yeah. look like? Yeah. So so we I mean, think about it, like if we're going to spend all this time in the weight room, the spring, the summer, the early fall, developing these training tools, you know, getting stronger, you know, improving our vertical jumps, getting faster. Um, it's kind of that old saying, if you don't, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. And, and so like maintenance is just purely, we have to tap into the things in a very manageable fashion. You know, what we call it kind of a low volume. We're not doing sets of eight, 10, 12 reps on our big movements with our guys that play high minutes, but we have to tap into some lower rep things that are manageable to give the signal to the body, give the nervous system kind of a dose of that stress, uh, to hold on to those qualities that we that we developed. And so I talk a lot about, you know, I've written a few books and, you know, these qualities are perishable. So if you don't tap into them, you lose them. So that's maintenance. Um, And as you know, Tim, like basketball athletes, it's a game of ankle sprains. It's a game of tall guys with low back. 
dysfunction and, you know, you know, knocking wood, you know, there's a lot of knee issues and ankle issues. So we got to, we got to spend time with our shoes off. We got to do a lot of balance and intrinsical work on our feet, our ankles. We have to make sure our mobility is, is optimal in, in our ankles uh, through dorsiflexion, through our hips. And so we want to, you know, uh, make sure make sure that our bodies are kind of fine tuned with all these little things. Um, that's kind of my idea of injury prevention for the basketball athlete and all of our guys. You know, need that time. So, you know, we train typically uh, two days before games, but we're always doing I call them IP sessions, injury prevention sessions. You know, the the day before games. So we're always spending time in the weight room, whether it's a lift or an IP session, um, to get better and and to fine tune our athletes. So, John, one of the things that you, you just highlighted, uh, much of the part of your job and the part of the preparation for the players that we don't see, right? We don't, we don't see the little things that go into staying injury-free. What we do see is, you know, how much mass a guy gains, right? We see how much muscle yep. he puts on. We see how, how much his vertical increases. So I'm, I'm curious, two things, how, how quickly – when you talk about adding mass, how quickly does a guy add mass typically like say from freshman year to sophomore year? Is that always the biggest jump? And maybe what is the biggest jump you've seen? And then the same thing with, with a vertical. I mean, you think your, your vertical is kind of set. If you don't jump high, you just never jump high. And yet I've seen guys come in with you seeming like, ah, that guy doesn't really, is not really a leaper. And then he looks like he's a leaper by the time he leaves Michigan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good questions. So, you know, again, kind of like our evaluation, everyone's a little bit different. So you get a guy like Hunter Dickinson, who's seven foot one, you know, two roughly 260 to 265 pounds on any given day. You know, like he's a guy that we don't want to put a bunch of weight on. We actually want to continue working on getting leaner. And and if anything, we're, we want to change out and add lean mass, but lose a little fat mass to make him leaner. Um, a guy like Franz Wagner, uh, and his brother, Mo, you know, Franz was six, nine, 205 pounds when he showed up on campus last September. And he's uh, he peaked out at 226 and he's playing, you know, right around there, 222 to 225 right now. So, like, you know, you can you can put on 15, 20 pounds is usually the high end of what I'd like to do in a year. But, mm-hmm. you know, I feel pretty comfortable with 15 pounds of lean mass as long as it, it's done the right way. And what I what I mean is too many too many guys spend so much time on their chest and their shoulders and, and, and uh, neglect, you know, your horsepower as an athlete, any ground-based movement is, is initiated through your hips and your thighs. And um, so as long as our mass is being developed in the right way and evenly distributed, and we're not neglecting um, where we, where we generate our horsepower um, 15 pounds, you know, certainly, you know, is playing 15 to 20 is certainly fine. So Franz is kind of on the high end of what, what we what we needed to do but again you know he was a unique athlete being long and he needed that mass to compete this year so yeah you know we've trey burke you know trey burke was 172 pounds his his uh freshman year and he played in the 188 to 190 range so he's another great example um so yeah that's the that's the answer you're you know gaining weight kind of question and then vertical jump you know they're also different karis lavert um i'll never forget you know he was a he looked like he was like franz like a 15 year old kid when he showed up on <laughs> campus, you know, he was a baby and still growing and maturing. And he grew, you know, about an inch during his time at Michigan. But, you know, Karis touched on our vertical jump test a shade over 11 feet, you know, 11 feet and I think a half of an inch. By the time he left Michigan, he touched 12 feet, you know. So 
you're talking about 11 and a half inch difference. He grew a little bit, so that's probably a 10 and a half inch improvement on vertical jump. That's the extreme. Like that, that's when you get like kind of a baby that, you know, I hate to say it like that, but someone that is still maturing and growing, their nervous system isn't complete. Um, a guy like a Glenn Robinson, who was a grown man when he showed up, you know, uh, who was a phenomenal athlete. He gained, he gained four inches over his two-year Michigan career, which was phenomenal for where he was at um, in terms of his training age and his, phys, uh, you know, physiology. So, so they're all different. You know, we've had great, you know, results and, and guys jumping higher to, you know, you know, to your point. So it's been, that's the fun part when guys kind of add a few inches and they can, you know, they'll be so proud of like, Hey coach, I can do uh I can windmill now. I've never been on windmill. I'll never forget when Karis LeVert told me that, you know, his first summer. I can windmill now. <laughs> so. so, John, uh, in the locker room, there's a before and after photo, which I always love looking at, to see Nick Stauskas and Jordan Morgan and John Teske as freshmen with no definition at all, and then to see them later in their career with washboard abs. You know, who would you say maximized their ability more so than any other player that you've worked with at Michigan? Uh, man, you know, Jordan, you mentioned Jordan Morgan. Um, Jordan Morgan was 28% body fat when I met him. He was a freshman, a redshirt in my first year at Michigan in 2009. Um, Jordan Morgan, I'll never forget this. He went on, you know, he's a guy that got a few NBA workouts, you know, obviously did not make the NBA, but has had a really, you know, phenomenal career overseas. Um, but by the time he got to the point where he started going these workouts, I remember hearing back from, I think it was Oklahoma city said his, his body fat was 4.5, 4, 4.5%. And he's a guy that just was, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not just me. I mean, it's, you know, you know, like it's not just any coach. It's about the will of the athlete, the buy-in. I mean, we're guides, you know, but talk about a determined athlete, you know, in, in Jordan Morgan, he did a crazy job just, with his diet, with his extra conditioning, with always wanting more. And we've had tons of guys like that, you know. Um, you know, you mentioned the St- Stauskas and Karis LeVert, you know, um, you know, Mo and Franz this year. Franz had a incredible offseason. So, um, but Jordan Morgan, I, I think, was what, what had, had the most work to do to be able to be a Big Ten player. And he ended up being a really good Big Ten player, as you guys know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sam and I can relate to 28% body fat. Thanks for bringing that I hope, up. I aspire. I aspire to that. Uh, so, so to take it one step further, I'd love to hear the best pure athlete at Michigan since you've been there. Um, if there's a couple, that's great. And on a global perspective, who's the best athlete you've seen in the Big Ten? Uh, I would say, I would say Glenn Robinson was and i mentioned him earlier he was the most raw freakishly athletic dude we had he touched 11 foot 11 his like his first week on campus he touched 12 foot 3 which is our since i've been at michigan and we've been recording the nba combine data that's our record dj wilson tied his record in two what was it 16 or 17 but obviously dj six ten and a half right? right so it's different it's different when the six six guy touches 12 three but glenn glenn was our best athlete um and then as far as the big 10 it's funny i was just watching the highlights of uh, victor oladipo and um you know he you know we all saw what he did over his career at indiana um you know the, the this league has had phenomenal athletes 
Um, and I think you could go back and find, you know, other really good athletes, but I would say uh, Oladipo is probably the most impressive that I've seen in my time in Michigan. So but you tell me, Tim, you have any other, you have any guys? I can't think of anyone else. Well, I mean, it's before your time there, but a guy that I was just in awe of combining skill with athleticism was big dog Robinson, but that, oh, guy, yeah. You, yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's the guy that jumps out to me, but Oladipo was incredible. Absolutely. So yeah. Uh, GR3, Glenn Robinson, definitely picked the right dad, right? Pick the right dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm curious, John, on the current team, if you could settle a debate, because there was a question put to Eli Brooks a couple of weeks ago and said, who, who has the highest vertical on the team? Who's the highest leaper on the team? And I, I'll sit here and admit outright that watching some of his finishes this year, I have been floored because I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know Eli Brooks could get up like that. But he said, yep. I'm the highest leaper on this team. He said, they're probably uh, more creative dunkers. He said, maybe Zeb Jackson. But he said, I am the highest leaper on this team. I'm curious, do you? is that true? Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. He, I actually have his uh, NBA comma data in front of me. He, Eli Brooks has a 42-inch vertical jump. Uh, now, that's with an approach. That's a, you know, the NBA combine has your no-step vertical jump, and then they give you the 15-foot approach that they call the max vertical jump. But Eli has a 42-inch vertical jump. Isaiah Livers has a 39.5. Wow. You know, the thing about Isaiah Livers, like a, like a lot of NBA guys, like a LeBron James, uh, you know, one-foot jumpers, you give Isaiah Livers momentum, you get him downhill, and he gets to go off his left foot. He's... He's, he's touching right around 12 feet, you know, so phenomenal. You know, he's a phenomenal athlete uh, with momentum. Uh, Brandon Johns is our best probably two-foot in space athlete. Um, he's a two-foot jumper, so it's just a different deal. Usually the one-foot guys have a little bit of an advantage um, with, with the testing protocols. But, yeah, guys, um, Eli, and he's another one. He's kind of a, you know, he's a guy that we don't talk a whole lot about in terms of my area um, because – he quietly has developed, but he's a guy that's improved his vertical jump three and a half, four inches over his career. You know, he was, he had a 37 or 38 inch vertical when he got here as a true freshman. Um, so yeah, he's, he's done a great job in the weight room and he's really surprisingly very, very strong uh, for his smaller frame weighing 182, 183 pounds. Yeah. And I got one more question for you, John, before we get, yeah. get a feel for uh, some things that I hear are going going on with you around town here, but you've worked for some work with and for some great coaches, obviously here at Michigan, John Beeline, and now you're working for Juwan Howard, and and off to now in year two, just such a tremendous start. And there have to be some common themes <laughs> with really really good coaches, and I'm I'm wondering what are those traits that you see in Juwan Howard that are very consistent with the yeah. really, really good coaches that you work for? Maybe what are some of the unique things that you've discovered about him working with him? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think the common denominators, obviously coach Beeline and coach Howard uh, have very different pasts, right? You know, one guy spent, you know, 19 years in the NBA and, and the other one spent his 40 something year career as a coach, never was an assistant coach. So very different backgrounds, but you know, the common denominators is, is how you run your program, your culture, a family atmosphere. Like, my goodness, like I, I have three kids and they mean everything to me and my wife and, and they've been welcomed. Obviously this year in the pandemic has been different. We can't have people in here, but you know, all last year, like under the John Beeline era, under coach Howard, like, 
like families are welcomed. He embraces the kids being part of it. Obviously, they're not here at practice every day, but they're part of it. And uh, a culture of accountability, of hard work, doing things the right way. Those are both guys that are that are about, you know, ethically, let's do this the right way. Let's win with integrity. Um, so that's been a lot of fun because it's really been our culture is essentially the same in terms of like guys are held accountable. Guys get in the weight room and do your best, get in the gym and spend extra time, like, you know, earn your way to the court to get your minutes. Nothing's given. So um, to me, you know, for two guys that are very different, it's, it's, it's fun and it's refreshing to have such an incredible culture that coach Howard is continuing to build here. Hey, John, final thing that I wanted to ask you, I get parents all the time that, that they come up and say, Hey, my son loves basketball, but he can't jump or he's incredibly slow. Or he's not an athlete. Um, have you seen kids that, that are non-athletic through training programs become athletes? Um, are there things that the kids can do, or are you kind of tied to your, your, your genetics? Yeah. I mean, the best way to put that, Tim, is, you know, like on a scale one to 10, if you're Glenn Robinson's, your Olo Depot's, those are your tens, right? Um, you know, if, if you're, naturally not a great jumper and not as quick, you know, and let's just say you're a three or a four on that scale. You're below average. Anyone can get better. We can turn a guy that's a four on that scale into a six, maybe a seven. Maybe they're never going to be an Oladipo or a Glenn Robinson, but, um, and you know, it starts with having a really balanced, um, strength and conditioning program. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, your leg strength, your leg power, I mentioned it, it that's, that's your, that's your motor. And, and guys that start early, like, again, my three kids, you probably think I'm nuts, but they've been learning the basics, the movements since my oldest is 13, Jonathan. He's been doing intermittent training since he was eight years old. I got a video of him in the weight room learning with his little 10-pound kid bar learning the movements. And that stuff is, you know, uh, you know, people just don't really know. But, you know, training for, you know, learning these movements early getting leg strength, having core stability. Um, that is your ticket for jumping higher, running, running faster. It's all, you know, it's all physics. You know, the more force you apply into the ground, you know, the, the faster you're going to move, you know, and, and or jump higher. So, um, so I would encourage any young aspiring athlete engage and, and really do it right. You know, the, the upper body training, everyone wants to look good. The beach muscles, we call it like the gun show, all the biceps and triceps you do. And that's important to be strong and physical. This is a physical league, but man, our lower body, our core integrity is, is the foundation of, of building an elite athlete. So I would encourage all young people to um, invest in that and invest in a, a qualified professional that can be your guide, like, like what I do here, you know? All right, John, thank you very much. And, you know, you, yeah. you've done a great job keeping our team healthy this year. So you should go into Ward Manual and ask for a raise. <laughs> oh, um, man. Yeah. If there are injuries, though, that, that's, yeah. another, that's another problem. Yeah, you know, but you know, Tim, you know how it is. I mean, it's a game of injuries. Football has their injuries. I mean, you do everything you can and you just got to, you know, pray that they stay healthy, you know, and, you know, it's it's a tough deal. But, um, but yeah, we try to do everything we can, man, to, to give them a great chance to be healthy and, and uh, productive on the floor for sure. Well, that's what you're All doing right. with the athletes. And this is the last one before we let you go, because I got a couple <laughs> of friends that I, I think, you know, Thomas O, Mike Donnelly. These are guys yeah. that a little while ago, introduced me to an idea called cryotherapy. And I know that that's something that has been brought to Ann Arbor 
uh, with you yeah. and your wife and your family. So tell us all about uh, all about that and what you guys have going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my wife, Jen, uh, actually played college basketball, four-year starter, uh, point guard at Mercer University down in Georgia. We met in college and grad school. She's a physical therapist by trade. And, you know, and, and over the last year, two years, um, you know, she kind of wanted to reinvent herself and kind of do different, something different, own her own business. We looked into some gyms as a possibility of investing in one and having, you know, having her be the owner. And so Restore Hyper Wellness and Cryotherapy is a franchise that, that she invested in and she is, she opened it up. It's over there on Washtenaw by the Whole Foods and Barnes and Noble. You know, it's a cryotherapy place. It's a place, it's a wellness facility. So the IV drip therapy for immunity boosting, which is incredibly important right now, but, you know, Things like we have, there's a hyperbaric chamber, you know, for, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons you would use that before, you know, coming off of an injury to speed up your recovery process. Great for brain health. Um, there's, there's an infrared sauna, there's stretching services, there's a beauty line of facials and, um, all kinds of stuff. That's, uh, it's incredible. So it's, it's been off to a really good start. She's working her tail off. I can't get her to take a day off. (laughs) So she has been, uh, you know, as a, as a business owner, trying to start a business in a pandemic has been, has had its challenges, but she's determined and the community has been really good. And I I just think it's such a new kind of a business model. Model. Once the community is is kind of free to get out because of COVID restrictions and we can do more, I, I think that it's going to be a hit in this community and people are going to go to this to stay ahead of their wellness. You know, don't don't wait till you're sick and you're overweight and you have things creep in, like get ahead of it. That's that is the whole model of restore uh, hyper wellness and cryotherapy. So she's uh, she's working hard and and, um, you know, we're we're uh, hoping for the best to get this thing going. Restore.com, right? Is that the website? Restore.com? Restore.com. That is the uh, corporate website. Uh, but like I said, it's over on Washtenaw Avenue, right in Ann Arbor by the Whole Foods and, and uh, Barnes & Noble. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely got to get you guys over there at some point to check it out for sure. I don't think you have any problem getting me in there, but what about Tim? You got to – You, gotta, <laughs> you, you, you can do the Tim. lower half. Just the lower half. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the, cryo, the cryotherapy is incredible. Like, it, I'm – you know, we, we – most college uh, campuses like don't have cryotherapy. We have cold tubs, you know, and, and Tim, you know, a lot about cold tubs, you know, like for, you know, they, they've been around for decades and cryotherapy is an amazing thing where it's just more tolerable than getting in, you know, 45 degree cold water, you know, you're in negative 170 uh, for three minutes. And it's not, it's really, it sounds terrible. It's not that bad, but you feel great. It makes such a difference on recovery and you, you get a just a nice boost of endorphins and you feel great. So I, I use it. I go over there because my wife owns it. I go over there three to five times a week. And um, so it's been incredible. We love it. So. All right. Thanks, so, John. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. Man. Yeah. Go blue. Uh, go blue. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. That was educational, Tim. Uh, when you talk about John Sanderson and basketball specific training, which he the start of his career was really the advent of that thought process in college back college and pro basketball for that matter basketball specific training when it comes to the movements the the weight you lift and that kind of thing and boy he has kept michigan on a cutting edge and kept them among the best prepared teams physically in this country and it's it's not just the the strength conditioning his profession has gone to a whole different level. They talk to the players about proper nutrition, the importance of drinking a gallon of water a day. Hi- hydration is so important for injury pre- prevention. And then also 
sleep. The, the effects of getting eight hours of sleep, it, it's probably very foreign for a college student. But, but if you want to be serious about your game, a lot of guys stay up and play video games all night. The best players are the ones that are able to get their eight hours. Hey, man, you could teach me a lesson on sleep. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I haven't gotten eight hours of sleep on a weekday probably in 15, 20 years. Uh, yeah, really? you don't have to chase Mike Smith around, though, either, <laughs> so that's okay. Right. I really need to work on my sleep. Uh, I could get better at that. My vertical isn't going anywhere, Tim. Uh, certainly <laughs> not to the level that Eli Brooks' vertical has gone. Did you hear? I mean, John said his vertical is 42 inches. Now, again, not to say that I thought Eli Brooks was some slouch of an athlete, but that's elite. He said he's the highest leaper on the team. He absolutely is. You see it in his finishes. But that athleticism also plays well on the defensive end for him. You could really feel the significance of his absence in that Minnesota game. You're right, Sam. And and what we learned, I think we already knew it, but he's indispensable. He He's a leader. His team likes him a lot. That's evident. He, his IQ is, is so important. He's one of the top 10 defensive players on the ball in the Big Ten without question. On offense, he's a ball mover. He helps on, on the, the boards. And most importantly, he can play point guard and shooting guard, and that's a spot the team's weak at. Not weak, but depth-wise is a little bit concerning. And, and so, Sam, I'm going to make a, a bold proclamation. Michigan will not win the Big Ten without a 100% healthy Eli Brooks. And I think that, that they would be very smart for two weeks to protect his foot. Um, I'm not saying that he should take off from his shooting drills and he, he should play games, but, but I would let him ride the bike for two weeks at practice. I would limit the pounding. And when February hits, you want him to have spent so much time on the bike that he can qualify for the tour de France. You know, I, I, I think that when a guy starts limping a little bit, I worry about that. And, and maybe it's unfair of me to make that comment because I don't know the, the extent of it. Maybe it's, nothing major maybe it's something incredibly minor but it was very smart against maryland 22 minutes right yeah. he had seven points five assists four boards and a steal um but just by him being out there his teammates felt great especially on the road um i would give more minutes to zeb jackson right. he's not ready right now he is flat out not ready but i like his potential and i think they need him you know if he makes a couple of shots he can really help this team and and then the, the the last thing, if you're looking at Michigan's number one weakness right now, I think you'd have to say depth at the guard spot mm-hmm. is a concern. Mm-hmm. And so I just I just worry about Eli Brooks's foot. And when you're jumping 42 inches, can you imagine the torque that it takes to take off and then land and then do that a thousand times in a practice in a game? It's just I worry about that. Yeah, I can imagine it. Can't do it, but can imagine it, right? <laughs> but but you, you make a great point. I mean, the guy only knows one way to play. Think about it. He's got his nose broken, his tooth knocked out. Uh, he's just all out all the time. He, it might be lost on some people because he, he never looks, you know, he never looks stressed on the court. Uh, but that guy plays as hard as, as any guy that you'll see, puts his body on the line. So uh, I think that is a – a management situation from a coaching perspective of managing his minutes as much as I talked about Zeb Jackson, uh, getting him ready uh, in case Mike Smith needs a blow. I think the same as you, the point you just made, same is true 
when it comes to, to Eli Brooks. We saw how impactful he is, uh, his absences on the defensive end of the floor, the offensive end of the floor, and not just for him, but also the pressure, the added pressure that it puts on Mike Smith. You are absolutely right, my friend. It is a big, big deal to keep him healthy. All right, so looking ahead, though, this next game against Purdue, and I remember us having a conversation heading into the season about the top coaches in the Big Ten, handicapping the top teams in the Big Ten. And while I think we both agreed that Matt Painter, one of the top five coaches in the Big Ten, I don't remember either of us having Purdue as one of the top five teams in the Big Ten. And I got to tell you, Tim, Matt Painter's had better teams than this talent-wise. But this year's team, I think think this might be his best coaching job so far. I I agree with that. I, I am a big fan of Matt Painter. And I think that beating Purdue at Mackey Arena will be just about the same as beating Minnesota at Williams Arena. Purdue is a team with great pride. They love their program. They're proud of their colors. I, I love Purdue for what they stand for. And when I see Matt Painter, I see Gene Cady. Um, I see Keith Edmondson and Joe Barry Carroll and Russell Cross and Robbie Hummel and Big Dog Robbins. I mean, they've got a great tradition. And I think that Isaiah Livers and Eli Brooks know what I'm talking about. Juwan Howard definitely knows what I'm talking about. But right now, Hunter and Franz and the young guys, they don't understand the tradition and the pride that Purdue plays with how hard they play, but they'll learn. And and so, you know, so let, let's talk a little bit about the scouting report. Um, Purdue's number one strength to me is Travion Williams. Of course. He's from Detroit. He's in the paint. He's a good defensive player. Um, you know, I, I think that, that he brings brings a lot of things that, that Michigan is going to going to have to deal with. This Purdue team may be mediocre on offense, but they've got great toughness. And last night I kept going back and forth during timeouts while I watched the Michigan game. Um, I watched Purdue beat Ohio State on the road. And and Jaden Ivey is only a freshman. He had a step back three. And he's not even one of their go-to guys. Um, he scored 15 off the bench. But this this is an old-school Purdue team. Low turnovers, physical D, aggressive on the boards. And surprise, surprise, they've got four straight wins. They're the hottest team in the Big Ten along with Iowa. And they won at Michigan State. They won at Indiana. They won at Ohio State. And and so that's three pretty impressive wins. And, and so I think that you've got to look at this game and think, just like Minnesota, if Michigan is not ready to go, they don't win this one. You, I think, bring up the – a couple of great points about Purdue. You watch Purdue play, regardless of the of the year, there's a level of toughness and defense that is constant. But on this team, man, I, I feel like that has bridged a, a talent gap for them in this season. I mean, this is Matt Painter's had more talented teams, but I marvel at how well he has this group playing. That they came back and won that Michigan State game. I'm still trying to figure out how they did that. But Trevion Williams I find myself looking forward to these matchups, these big man matchups, Tim, uh, because Hunter has come on so strong. And Trevion Williams, you, you'll you remember last year, this that game was personal. I mean, you could see it was – there was something extra there for him. He wanted to give it to Michigan. Uh, and he put up – I mean, there was a rainbow three that he shot in that game. Look at the, the Michigan State game that they won. Trevion Williams really came to play. You add to it. Hunter Dickinson and all the, the the pub that he's gotten. I think this is going to be a titanic matchup 
between these two between these two big fellas when they do Battle Friday? Well, Hunter is tired of double teams. Well, he's going to get one-on-one coverage now, and he may not like it. This is a marquee matchup, and I can't wait for it. And one of the the um, interesting side notes of this, Michigan's offense is premier. They're number one in the Big Ten, shooting about 51%. They're averaging 81 points per game. I expect this game to be in the high 60s. And so can, can you... Can you go in and grind out a victory? Because you're not going to run and and play loose and fast and, and enjoy a transition-type game against them. Their transition defense is so good. All right, so, Tim, you've been so on point with the predictions. Man, you know we got to get one before the end of this podcast, so they're going to uh, lock horns with Purdue on a winning streak. Michigan, I mean, sands the, the Minnesota game, of course, the last four opponents, they've just blown the doors off blown the doors off so how do you see this matchup going no i think michigan wins this game i think that they learned a great deal at minnesota i i think that they're they're going to be healthy and so i just i feel like offensive weaponry is in michigan's favor and so i think it'll be a single digit win but i do think michigan wins all right from your lips man you have been so on point with these calls and i'm banking on this one being right again as well Right or wrong, we'll be back next week to break down another week of Michigan basketball. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate and review it. Uh, if you you know haven't told your friends about it yet, please do. They can find it wherever they get their podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Tell them about the Michigan Basketball Insider. Just search Michigan Insider Podcast and up they will come. And we will be back next week with another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider.